Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Fifty years, half a century, 1973, 50 years ago. The topic this week on the imbalanced history of rock and roll. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman, and I was young in 1973. I was young. That's saying something. I was young in 1973. That's the year I would turn 15. I couldn't wait, right? 15, man. Oh, yeah, you were close to driving. You were close to independence. And I was just like six, seven years old trying to figure out what the hell was going on in the world and being uh, kind of confused with everything that I saw. Some really excellent things and some really not excellent things happened in 1973. And one of the most excellent things that happened is this insanely gigantic list of albums that was dropped in 1973. It's albums turning 50 in 2023 on the imbalanced history. Well, as always, we have a different perspective because of our age at the time. Like I said, I'd be turning 15 that May and bands were forming. There were things going on I had no idea about. Like in Australia, this band ACDC or that the guess who had kind of morphed halfway into BTO, Bachman Turner Overdrive. I had no idea about these two sets of brothers named Devo as they all met and got together. Or that Journey had formed from former members of Carlos Santana's band. One of my first concerts would be seeing Kansas, who started in 1973. Oh yeah. The guys from Brooklyn who are hanging it up at the end of this year, they started too. KISS began in 1973. A band called Montrose featuring a young Sammy Hagar. Quiet Riot with Randy Rhodes on guitar. All forming. And I was clueless in the suburbs, dude. Dude, your uh, 1973 was way different than mine. I had no concept of what was going on in the music world. I was familiar with things like Roe versus Wade happening, the OPEC oil embargo happening. I remember specifically watching the U.S. troops withdraw from Vietnam. The Watergate hearings began. I remember on uh, Saturday TV when Secretariat won the Triple Crown because all the adults were watching that happen. On the turn, Secretariat is blazing along the first three quarters of a mile in 109 and four-fifths. Secretariat is widening now. He is moving like a tremendous machine. Secretariat by 12. Secretariat by 14 length on the turn. Secretariat is all alone. He's out there almost a sixteenth of a mile away from the rest of the horses. He's into the stretch. Secretariat has opened a 22 length lead. He is going to be the triple crown winner. Here comes 
Uh, Marcos took over in the Philippines. Inflation was high at 6.1%. It was kind of an interesting time. You mentioned Marcos, and that's kind of where 1973 begins. I remember that. And I remember that after the Nicaraguan earthquake, the Rolling Stones played a benefit concert. It destroyed Managua, and they raised over $350,000. Later, Jagger tagged on 150 of his own. You mentioned Nixon. He's sworn in in January for a second term. And George Foreman defeats Joe Frazier. It's target practice for George Foreman. It is target practice. Frazier is ready to go again. Joe is standing. There he goes. Three times. Three times. The fight is stopped. It is over. It is over. It is over in the second round. George Foreman is the heavyweight champion of the world. The Vietnam War on the path to ending. You mentioned that. The Paris Peace Accords are signed January 27th. Two members of a young band called Wicked Lester decide this band isn't going anywhere, and they form the band Kiss playing their first gig at the Coventry Club in Queens on January 30th. (laughs) Five years later, I got to see them live as a 12-year-old. Just announced, by the way, something we just did an episode about is on the Yubatuba, the Midnight Special in honor of their 50th anniversary just released dozens and dozens of videos, so go to their page on YouTube. And it made its debut February 2nd in 1973. Just two weeks later, the King Biscuit Flower Hour on the radio did its first broadcast ever with performances by Blood, Sweat, and Tears, the Mahavishnu Orchestra, and this new kid, Bruce Springsteen. Hi, and welcome to the King Biscuit Flower Hour. Tonight's show presents the Rolling Stones, recorded live on the European tour. The King Biscuit Flower Hour is broadcast in SQ quadraphonic and compatible stereophonic sound. We'll be right back with the Rolling Stones after this. The whole world has already been in 50th anniversary mode for Dark Side of the Moon, Marcus. March 1st, 1973, it's released to unbelievable accolade across the board. And of course, it goes on to have one of those initial runs, the record-breaking all-time 741 weeks that I don't think anything will ever top. No chance anything will ever touch that record. So the 15th Grammys happened with Loggins and Messina and the Staples Singers. I think it's the first time I saw them in Pops. And Helen Reddy was there and others too. Big winners were the Concert for Bangladesh winning Album of the Year. America was the best new artist. And Roberta Flack got the Grammy for the best song for first time ever I saw your face. The first time ever I saw Of course, 
that was written by the great Harry Nielsen. And George Carlin won for the FM and AM comedy album. I got fired last year in Las Vegas from the Frontier Hotel for saying shit in a town where the big game is called crap. It's some kind of a double standard, you know? I'm sure there was some Texan standing out in the casino yelling, Oh, shit, I crap! They fly those guys in free, you know? Fired me. Shit. Get as much trouble saying shit as you can smoking it down there. All at the Grammys in 1973. Nixon's immigration department cancels John Lennon's visa five days after granting an extension. And then Paul McCartney's fined $240 after pleading guilty to charges of growing marijuana outside of his Scottish farm. <laughs> Sadly, and I remember this that day, not that they were connected at the time, but Ron, Pigpen McKernan from the Grateful Dead Dice, joining the 27th Club after a stomach hemorrhage. March 1973, The Godfather wins Best Picture at the Oscars. The month of April, Capital EMI cashes in by releasing the Beatles' Blue and Red double Best of album releases. A landmark in communications history, April 3rd, 50 years ago, the first handheld mobile phone call is made by Martin Cooper of Motorola in New York City. <laughs> Anybody know what he said? Can we get on that in the research department on that? We don't have the Morse code records like we did with those. At the time, I was so upset I didn't know what to say about it, but April is also the month in 1973 where the American League adopted the designated hitter rule. I guess I was wrong. It was that legendary tour with Led Zeppelin taking over America between May 24th and July 29th, the largest outdoor concert at the time ever, with 56,800 at Tampa Stadium. In May, Skylab launched for the first time. And speaking of launches, Richard Branson launched his new record label with Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells. There was some quitting going on too, Marcus. I know you're riveted, right? Totally. June 30th, Ian Gillen quits Deep Purple. And just a few days later, David Bowie retires on stage his persona of Ziggy Stardust in front of the shocked audience. And I think a couple of the band members were surprised as well, if I remember from our episode about the whole thing. Yes, indeed. They were shocked. And not only did Ian Gillen leave uh, Deep Purple after uh, Who Do We Think We Are, Roger Glover left, too. Always tied together. Well, you mentioned Watergate. July 16th is when Alexander Butterfield reveals that President Nixon may have recorded potentially incriminating conversations in the Oval Office. Two things happen August 6th, 1973. Stevie Wonder, seriously injured in a car accident outside Durham, North Carolina. Four days in a coma. He recovered fully, obviously. But that's also the day that the great Memphis Mini died at age 76. If it keeps on raining, going to break. If it keeps on raining, going to break. And the water gonna come I have no place to stay Well, all last night I sat on a lever in the moon Well, all last night I sat on a lever in the moon Thinking about my baby and my happy home If it keeps on raining, lever's going to break If it keeps on raining, lever's going to break all our episodes are tying together, Marcus. Have you noticed that? Totally. We need to talk about Jim Croce sometime. That's September. 
His plane crashed along with four other people. He passed away in Louisiana and his musical legacy was really cut short by tragedy. We hinted about Don Kirshner's rock concert when we were talking about the Midnight Special. They debut that show, September 27th, debuting with the Rolling Stones recorded live. Tonight on Don Kirshner's rock concert, Cool in the Gang, and Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. Last year on rock concert, we were privileged to have first American television appearance in seven years of Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. Tonight, just one year later, we are proud to present another exclusive appearance by Mick Jagger, Bill Wyman, Mick Taylor, Charlie Watts, and Keith Richards. October 9th, the passing of one of your favorites, Sister Rosetta Tharp at age 58, an influential drummer, Gene Krupa. I remember him as a kid. Passing away, though, at age 64 on October 16th. Three days later, The Who released Quadrophenia. The Saturday Night Massacre, where Nixon fires everybody on October 20th, and it eventually leads to moves for his impeachment and his resignation. November 1st starts with Kiss signing as the first act in Neil Bogart's new label, Casablanca. Days later, both houses of the Congress rousingly approved Gerald Ford to be the next vice president. December 3rd, CBGB opens in Manhattan. December 28th, they passed the Endangered Species Act in the United States. It was the year that Roe v. Wade became law of the land. It was 1973. Well, Marcus, now that I put everybody to sleep, maybe we can talk about the music that we all love and play some of that music that moved and touched us. Totally. It was a great year musically, and uh, January did not disappoint. The funny thing about debuts is that at first, when they come out, not everybody realizes, wow, those two albums both came out the same day on the same label. But that's the case. On January 5th, when Aerosmith issues their debut album and Bruce Springsteen issues Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, his debut album. Wow. Two young bands that the labels believed in, they groomed, they worked with. I mean, look at this right off the bat. Aerosmith, not fully who they are yet, but songs like Dream On, Mama Kin, Walking the Dog, Show You what Aerosmith is going to become. As we talked about in the episode about Bruce before, his evolution really took place through the first record onto the second one, both happening in 1973. And we'll get to all of that. What an amazing album. I, I found out more about it because of living in the Philadelphia area and how it became very Springsteen Central right away. Madman drummers, bombers, and Indians in the summer teenage diplomat in the dumps with the mumps as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat with a boulder on my shoulder feeling kind of older I strip the merry-go-round with this very unpleasing sneezing and wheezing but for a lot of people these were bands they didn't know at all didn't really have much exposure to and it took a while both of them Also released in January, the album we were just talking about, uh, Deep Purple's Who Do We Think We Are? We think we are a band that needs a singer and a bass player. And that's where they were at that (laughs) point. It became a legend in the progressive underground. Rick Wakeman's The Six Wives of Henry VIII released in January of the month. What a fantastic album. Six songs named after each of the six wives of Henry VIII. His sense of humor is fantastic. Yeah, it sure is. And two days later, Dixie Chicken from Little Feet hits 
and they were starting to become a thing. Great Lost Kinks album released the same day and the next day Elton's Don't Shoot Me I'm Only the Piano Player. January so far, and we're not even done with no. the month. Thanks you very much. T-Rex drops that album on the 28th of the month, which is the big release day in those days. Here's what else hits. Albums that didn't click at the moment but became legendary from people like The Guess Who and Bob Seger. Free, Derek and the Dominoes, the live album, which was the follow-up to Layla. Wow. Is it still January, Marcus? I think we're ready to jump to February. One of your favorites, first week. By far one of my favorites. I was a little older when I got it, but when Raw Power came out, that's one of those albums that shook the world. I'm a sleepwalking cheetah with a hat full of napalm. I'm a runaway son of the nuclear aid bomb. I am a world's forgotten boy, the one who searches and destroys. couple days before that, Loyster Cult's Tyranny and Mutation dropped as well. Another hard hitter and one that shaped the sound and gave us an idea of what Blue Oyster Cult was about, too. One of my favorite albums from a New Orleans artist, Dr. John's In the Right Place, which I got on vinyl from my buddy Brandon uh, at Christmas a couple years ago. He knows how much I love the doctor. End of the month, traffic shootout at the Fantasy Factory, including sessions at Air Montserrat. Welcome to March, Marcus. Welcome to the dark side of the fucking moon. <laughs> An album they spent a year perfecting, playing it live in Europe, and then, boom, they just unleashed this monster on the world. Monster. Somewhere in a box, I have Alan Parsons pre-mixes, early mixes, somewhere. We'll have to deconstruct and take a look at those at some point. Also that same day, Todd Rundgren releases A Wizard, A True Star. And the next day, March 2nd, ELO2, that second record from Electric Light Orchestra that we talked about in that episode, and the Doobie Brothers, The Captain and Me, on the same day. And a couple days later, it's Tom Waits' closing time, including his version, Bowl 55, which the Eagles made popular. And then a couple days later, we get Argent, indeed. There were albums from The Birds and Canned Heat and Roxy Music. And then King Crimson releases Lark's Tongue and Aspic on the same day. My favorite song on this album to this day is Book of Saturday. John Wetton's vocals are gorgeous, just beautiful. Oh, 
ABBA delivers Ring Ring and Barry White. I've got so much to give. The debut album of that beautiful man. What a great record. And that same day, we get an album from Dolly Parton, my Tennessee mountain home. I love Dolly. Everything about her is just good. The next day, Marcus, I was on my way to Jerry's Records in the Bucks County Mall. First day, I had to have this new Led Zeppelin album, Houses of the Holy. Hello! (laughs) Man, we're still in March, right? I just want to check because I I feel like I'm lost a little bit here. Um, Right here, we have the Jackson 5 delivered on the 29th with Skywriter and Birds of Fire, a seminal jazz fusion album for me from Mahavishnu Orchestra. It's one of those 10 jazz albums I always keep talking to you about. Herbie Hancock delivers Sextant. The faces, ooh la la, ladies and gentlemen, it's just the one of many that are hitting there on the last day of March. The faces, Alice Cooper's billion dollar babies. Marcus, can I tell you how much this album was a part of my life 50 years ago, right fucking now? The Chai Lights, A Letter to Myself, Ray Stevens' Losing Streak, which my dad had on Real to Real. Same day, Hank Williams Jr., After You, Pride's Not Hard to Swallow, Tangerine Dream with Adam, Donovan's Cosmic Wheels, Procol Harum did Grand Hotel. Gladys Knight and the Pips, Neither One of Us, Fleetwood Mac released Penguin, which we talked about in our Fleetwood Mac episode. We got Black Oak, Arkansas doing Raunch and Roll Live, and Foghat hit us with Rock and Roll. Johnny Winter was still alive and well, and he let us know about that. Joan Baez released Where Are You Now, My Son, all on the same day, March 31st, 1973. I'm running out of gas, Marcus. We got to pause early. I know we were going to try to do the first half of the year and then do the second half, but... I know we're the imbalance history, so it's okay if we if we stop after March and pause and come back with April and the rest here in the second half of the podcast episode, right? Totally. I know. You're my enabler in this shit. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Thanks to our sponsors, Crook and I Brewery in the heart of Hapro and Boldfoot Socks at boldfoot.com. Thanks for your support, guys, and thanks for listening to the Imbalance History Podcast. Back with more from 50 years ago in the Imbalance Time Machine back to 1973. Here in the wintertime, you still need a great sock because you're going to find a way to work out. Like when it got warm the other day and you told me you were going for a ride, you know, you got to have great socks. And since they started sponsoring our podcast last year, I know when you hit the road, you've got a pair of bold foot socks on those feet. I do. I love my bold foot socks, whether I'm riding outdoors or spinning on a spin bike. They wick the sweat off my feet so I don't get that mushy, yucky, swampy foot feel after doing something athletic. And when it's 40, 50 degrees and the wind can drop the temperature down another 10, having a sock like Boldfoot on to keep your foot a little warmer makes a big difference when you ride. Sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I can hear Marisa working out downstairs. And I know that she's got her bold foots working overtime when she's working out with Jillian, you know? Definitely. Whether you're working out or going for a ride, or if you're an aggressive walker, you got to check out boldfoot.com. You can pick your design. They have so many to choose from, and a portion of all sock sales go directly to veterans' charities. And, of course, all socks are made in the USA. Veteran-owned, American-sewn. It's Boldfoot Socks. Thanks for the support, gang. It's always great to stop here in the middle of the Imbalance History Podcast and have a little pint of Crooked Eye in the heart of Hapro, pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. But that doesn't say much about what they are and what they do. Crooked Eye is one of those brew pubs that is really tight within the community and you really get a warm, friendly vibe when you walk in there. They've always got music. There's food now because of the Salty Vets barbecue, and they keep 
bringing out new brews on a regular basis as well as the old standbys. The winter brews are on the board. Go in and have one and check out some of that Salty Vets barbecue as well. And the entertainment at Crook and I, it's always changing, so follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Grab some friends, grab a date, head on over to Crooked Eye for some lovely beers and wonderful food and great <laughs> atmosphere. In the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for what ails you. They are Crooked Eye Brewery. And we thank them for their support of the Imbalance Podcast for about a million years now. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And after that quick break, we are back and ready to talk about the rest of 1973 from April on. Yeah, the albums that are turning 50 this year. With this hitting when it does, a lot of these are the albums that are celebrating their 50th just recently and coming up. April 1st, Leonard Cohen Live. And then on the second, those two Beatles compilations we talked about earlier, the Red Album and the Blue Album, both double albums of the best of the Beatles. Wow, what a great collection for everybody. So many of us got that that following Christmas. I wasn't one of them, but a lot of my friends did. And we listened to the Blue and the Red Albums regularly. I'll tell you what, Marcus, this was part of the party. If you had this album and there was a party at your house, it would turn into a house party. The Jay Giles Band Bloodshot, ladies and gentlemen. Boy, that week was so good after Bloodshot with David Bowie and Bob Marley releasing albums on the same day. On the same day. Aladdin Sane, which is just an incredible album and a new direction for David Bowie after Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. And then the seminal Catch a Fire album from Bob Marley and the Wailers, which is just brilliant music. Stop that both artists at a turning point in their careers and you could say the same for michael jackson as a solo artist who also released his third solo album on that very same day april is a busy month marcus the eagles released their second album desperado on the 17th following up that amazing debut take another shot of courage It's another tequila sunrise 
The Miracles with Renaissance on the 18th and Roger Daltrey's self-titled Daltrey album, his debut solo record, and the first member of The Who to branch out. And then the last day of the month, all the records came out. Red Rose Speedway from Paul McCartney and the Wings. You had Cher's Bittersweet White Light. John Fogarty released the Blue Ridge Rangers. Al Green's Call Me. Anne Murray from the soundtrack Danny's Song. Uh, Seals and Cross. And their story is really interesting. They released Diamond Girl. Humble Pie hits it with their sixth album called Eat It. Also out that day, the debut album from the Marshall Tucker Band. These guys had both triumph and tragedy early on. But Can't You See from that album continues to be a classic rock anthem. A lot of live albums here on this final release day of April with Melanie and also uh, the Jefferson Airplane delivering live albums, Uriah Heap. It's kind of that kind of vibe. Yeah, live records were quite common in those years. A lot of people say 1973 was the year that made the live album. Maybe we should look into that sometime here on the Imbalance History. Great conversation topic. May 5th, the release of an album I've been spending a lot of time with lately. There goes Ryman Simon, Paul Simon. I remember when my parents got that record, it got spun regularly. They were big fans of Simon and Garfunkel. When they split up and went solo, they were excited for the albums because they knew how good a songwriter Paul Simon was. And really, we had his music playing all the time. underground favorites hawkwind live space ritual with our lord lemmy on bass and wishbone ashes wishbone for the carpenters now and then on may 16th and the debut from the bachman turner overdrive on may 17th the beginning of the second legacy of randy bachman and then we get Yes's Yes songs, which had a huge impact on you, Ray. Huge yes. impact. And is part of what set the tone of 1973 being the year of the live album. You mentioned Tubular Bells earlier, and we got that on May 25th, right before the end of the month when all the big albums drop again. Are you ready for that list? <laughs> sure. Starting with George Harrison's Living in the Material World. Wow, what a great album. And then you had the rock and roll of Commander Cody and Country Casanova. Yes, sir. <laughs> Also, the self-titled album from Eddie Kendricks and Keep On Trucking, Baby. Earth, Wind, and Fire, Head to the Sky, Charlie Daniels, Honey in the Rock, Glenn Campbell's I Knew Jesus Before He Was a Star, all on the same day. You also had the Pointer Sisters releasing their The Pointer Sisters album.
Nazareth released Razamanaz. John Entwistle, with his incredible sense of humor, released Rigor Mortis Sets In. And Spooky Tooth, you broke my heart, so I busted your jaw. <laughs> Man, so many albums in that last day of the month, every month now, you can see it. 50 years later, we're talking about 1973 and all the music that came out. June 4th, an album that I love. I have it on vinyl. It's in good shape, too. It's called A White Sport Coat and a Pink Crustacean. It's the third record from that Jimmy Buffett. Man, his albums from that period are a blast. Some really fun, easygoing songs. I know it's in the Yacht Rock category today, but... Oh, screw that. Exactly. We grew up listening to Jimmy Buffett, and his music will always put you in a good mood. It's fun. It's great to listen to. I mean, the mood of Grapefruit, Juicy Fruit, or He Went to Paris is very poignant, but you can't get more fun than getting right down to it with the song, Why Don't We Get Drunk? <laughs> this is a month that included new albums from Bobby Womack and Willie Nelson and Man for Man's Earth Band and Joe Walsh's The Smoker You Drink, The Player You Get, one of the greatest album titles of all time. His sense of humor, fantastic. Joe Walsh, a hilarious dude. Diana Ross did Touch Me in the Morning. We got Chicago Six. We got Aretha Franklin doing Hey Now, Hey, The Other Side of the Sky. Waylon Jennings, Honky Tonk Heroes, Sly and the Family Stone, Fresh, The Plan from the Osmonds, which we had on cassette. <laughs> man, we're in, the, we're in the end of June time zone here. We're in the wormhole, man. The Osmonds and the Guess Who, Tammy Partridge Family. Oh, my God. Carol King's Fantasy, Farewell Andromeda from John Denver, the Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack. Oh, man, that was so huge in our neighborhood. Joe uh, Kelly got a copy of it. We would listen to it all the time, but especially at Easter. A little touch of Schmilson in the night, Harry Nelson and Gordon Jenkins and Budgie released their third record, Never Turn Your Back on a Friend. Roger McGuinn completes the picture that day with his debut solo album. And that is June 1973. That's a lot of albums, bro. Oh, and it doesn't slow down at all. <laughs> no, July 1st, you've got two amazing albums, Styx's 2 and Life and Times from Jim Croce, an album that was a regular in our house. Snowy nights and Christmas lights, I see window make me wish that we could be together again, and the windy winter avenue. Just don't seem the same And the Christmas carols sound like blues But the choir is not to blame But it doesn't have to be that way What we had should never have ended I'll be dropping by today Cause we could easily get it together tonight we had a lot of Jim Croce playing, and he lost his life in 1973 in the plane crash. Yes. Jethro Tull, who are about to release their 23rd album, released their sixth album called A Passion Play. And this is one of those albums in the progressive world of the early 70s that showed that you could put together a concept, a passion play, if you will, and make it all tie together. And that's what they did on this amazing album. And Barry Manilow released his debut album and Could It Be Magic was one of the songs that I was playing over and over again as a young kid. And the first concert I ever saw was Barry Manilow at Red Rocks in like 1974, so. <laughs> it's all tying together here, buddy, because if you remember when we were talking about the Midnight Special, that's the version we played on there with him live, kind of the soft piano all the way through. It's all tying together here in 1973. Funkadelic drop, Cosmic Slop. Elvis Presley does his self-titled Elvis album, his 18th. That's just crazy that he's released so many albums at that point. 
The next day, The Grateful Dead dropped what is now called Bear's Choice. It was called History of the Grateful Dead, Volume 1, cheekily by the band at the time. Bob Dylan released his old Western novel, I mean album, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. You were right the first time. (laughs) And Queen released their debut album. Thank you very much for doing so, Queen. Thank you. And thank you for making all the other ones, too. (laughs) Grand Funk Railroad at the... uh, middle of the month released we're an american band we got the debut record from rufus look at this look at this. here we are genesis live it's it's one of those rare rarities but here in philadelphia that's like a huge album and they were all released like on day after day after day how did our record budget survive boy were they spending a lot of money and in return making a lot of money back for live music and records in those days Carlos Santana and John McLaughlin team up for Love, Devotion, Surrender, and Mott the Hoople's Mott, their sixth album, finally breaks through. Then we got Cat Stevens, every campfire singer's delight because his songs were sung regularly at campfires that I was at. You had ZZ Top doing Trace Hombres and New York Dolls unleashing their fury on the world. The debut album from 10CC, also on the last day of the month with the Dolls. The Whalers African Herbsman compilation, Steely Dan Countdown to Ecstasy. We also got Janis Joplin's greatest hits. We got Moon Tan from Golden Earring, which gave us Radar Love. Oh, yeah. And the sweet make impact with what was their first U.S. release and the song Little Willie. You remember that one, don't you? Absolutely. Great tune from them. August starts hot and stays hot. Marcus releasing Roberta Flax Killing Me Softly on the first and Inner Visions from Stevie Wonder on the third. And on the 7th, in the first week, the Isley Brothers 3 Plus 3 and LaBelle Pressure Cooking. What a week. Ah, starting off big and it stays big. It's a lighter month as far as albums release, but these are some serious records. Sing It Again, Rod, Rod Stewart, Leonard Skinner, the debut album pronounced Leonard Skinner. George Benson released Body Talk, the seminal Marvin Gaye record, Let's Get It On. The Stones in that dirty, dirty era give us goat's head soup on the 31st, along with so many other great records oh my god look at all these releases the soundtrack from american graffiti chuck berry's bio roy wood doing boulders brothers and sisters from the allman brothers the self-titled album from the shy lights war with deliver the word van morrison hard nose highway your girl maria moldauer self-titled debut album Blood, Sweat, and Tears, No Sweat. And that third album from the band Brownsville Station. You ever seen there one of those days where it just seems like everybody's getting on your case from your teacher all the way down to your best girlfriend? Well, you know, I used to have them just about all the time. But I found a way to get out of it. Let me tell you about it. Sitting in the classroom thinking it's a drag. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking in the boys' room, still making money here in 2023. September starts with a bang from the James Gang and Gilbert O'Sullivan's I'm a Writer, Not a Fighter. 
And then on the third, Johnny and June released Johnny Cash and his woman, along with Uriah Heep's Sweet Freedom. Take me across the water, cause I need some place to hide. I done the ranch's daughter, and I showed it her. We get the very hilarious and brilliant Frank Zappa jumping out with Overnight Sensation. All in the first week of September, and Zappa's at a turning point in his career delivering this amazing album. And then Clapton's Rainbow Concert, which was really his friends trying to get him back on the horse. That comes out in album form on the 10th, and the Raspberry Side 3. Angel Claire from Art Garfunkel, and the second album from Bruce Springsteen, The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle, released September 11th, Parton releases bubbling over on the 14th. You get Poco's crazy eyes on the 15th, which produced some very nice soft rock radio tunes. Billy Preston, everybody likes some kind of music. Thin Lizzy's Vagabonds of the Western World, which we talked about in our Thin Lizzy episode. You also had Marie Osmond with Paper Roses. Remember the Donnie and Marie show on TV and Donnie always wore purple socks. I remember that. I don't remember the purple socks, but I do remember the TV show. <laughs> hey, Black Oak, Arkansas, Jim Dandy to the rescue from High on the Hog released on the 23rd. On the 24th, Roy Orbison releases Milestones. And the 28th is the end of the month release for that month. With Status Quo releasing Hello, Slade. The Ohio players release Ecstasy. Full Moon from Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge. Atomic Rooster, Nice and Greasy, The Average White Band, Show Your Hand. John Mayall's 10 Years Are Gone, Where My Heart Is from Ronnie Millsap, and Cool and the Gang, Wild and Peaceful, wrapping up the month of September 1973. <laughs> Jumping into October on the 1st, another one of those albums that got me into jazz music, Billy Cobham's Spectrum, along with Elvis Presley's Raised on Rock and Linda Ronstadt's Don't Cry Now. Barry White hits with Stone Gone, his second album, on October 2nd, two in the same year. Barry White. And then Lou Reed gets dark with Berlin. You get Elton John doing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, which is a, a massive record. And of course, Brian yeah. Ferry doing these foolish things. And that's just on the 5th of October. <laughs> <laughs> The next few days, releases from Three Dog Night and Gladys Knight and the Pips. Renaissance releases Ashes Are Burning, their landmark album. And three days later, Genesis delivers Selling England by the Pound. Wow. And then you get on the 15th, the band dropping Moondog Matinee, Fleetwood Mac, Mystery to Me, Neil Young Times Fade Away and Wake of the Flood from the Grateful Dead. That's just on one day, dude. What? And then the next day is the Live from Europe uh, CCR album, and then the debut from Montrose the next day, and then the next day it's Burning from Bob Marley and the Whalers and Hat Trick from America and the Joker from Steve Miller. You get the picture, brother? This is my high school years. Yeah. I'm 15 years old. I can't fucking believe it's so good. David Bowie's pinups and Quadrophenia from The Who, all those on the same day. Burning, Hat Trick, The Joker, pinups and Quadrophenia. Wow! It's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy. On the 20th, Frampton's Camel comes out, Peter Frampton. Waylon Jennings does Honky Tonk Heroes. And my dad was buying up all the Waylon and Willie cassettes as soon as they came out. Diana 
Ross and Marvin Gaye released Diana and Marvin, some beautiful songs on that record. Herbie Hancock did Headhunters. Oh, yes, he did. And it turned a lot of suburban kids' heads around there. On the 27th, it's Cher and Halfbreed, which acknowledged her heritage, which was controversial at the time, but seems like a silly notion today, right? Totally. We're on the last day of the month of October of releases, the 29th. And oh, my fucking God, look at this list. It is traditionally the biggest day for releases in retail for records. And I'm just going to start right there on the 29th with Dave Mason. It's like you never left. And the new adventures of Panama Red, one of my favorite albums from the new riders of the Purple Sage. Panama Red. Panama Red. This is your woman. Then rob your head. Panama Red. Panama Red. On his white horse, Mescalito, he comes freezing through town. Bet your woman is up in bed with old. All-American Boy from Rick Derringer focuses live at the rainbow. The Partridge Family released Bulletin Board. You had Klaus Schultz, a German electronic music pioneer, releasing Cyborg. David Cassidy's solo record on the same day as the Partridge Family for every man from Jackson Brown. Full Sail from Loggins and Messina and Grin. Gone crazy, man. All on the same day. Then you had John Martin doing Inside and Out, Glenn Campbell, I remember Hank Williams, Greg Allman did Laid Back, you had Kevin Coyne's Marjorie Razorblade, Mine from Dolly Parton, another album from her, and Fairport Convention released nine, and we're not even done with this day yet. No, we had this next one in my house, Old Blue Eyes is Back from Frank Sinatra, Traffic on the Road Live. Don McLean playing favorites, which I don't know. Grinsley Schwartz, which is the beginnings of the rumor, and their album, Please Don't Ever Change. Craftwork with Ralph and Florian, or Ralph und Florian. Susie Quattro's self-titled debut. John Prine's Sweet Revenge. Bonnie Raitt's Taking My Time. And Quincy Jones, You Got a Bad Girl, all on the last day of October. The big day for release in one of the biggest years in record selling history. Wow. And people wonder why it happened. <laughs> is it is it over yet? Not Wait a minute. Close. We're in the home stretch market, you know that. November starts with rocking with curly leads from the shadows and Roxy Music Stranded. And then the next day, Babs releases Barbara Streisand and other musical instruments. Alvin Lee's on the road to freedom and Ringo Starr releases his third studio album, Ringo. And then the next day, Abandoned Luncheonette by Hall and Oates. I know you love that one. Huge fan of that album. November 9th, 1973, the Jay Giles Band releases Ladies Invited. Nazareth unleashes loud and proud and piano man from Billy Joel next to his label mate Santana who released their fifth album all on November 9th on the 10th the OJ ship ahoy ships to retail on the 11th Rory Gallagher does tattoo and then on the 16th it's Bette Midler's second album, Mind Games from John Lennon, and Preservation Act One from the Kinks, all releasing on November 16, 1973. And then three days later, we get the Beach Boys in concert. Brain Salad Surgery from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Dylan releases his 13th solo record called Dylan. And then Alice Cooper drops Muscle of Love. Yoko Ono's Feeling the Space on the 23rd, Bad Fingers Ass on the 26th. I wonder if they got in a fight with the record company over that title. Oh, totally. You know they did. And here we are with the big sales day at the end of November with Manfred Mann's Earth Band Greenslade, Bedside Manners or Extra, Mahavishnu Orchestra's live album Between Nothingness and Eternity, April Wine's Electric Jewels, and Friends and Legends from Michael Stanley. And that's not even half the list, Marcus. 
You had the British glam band Cockney Rebel dropping the human menagerie. John Denver's greatest hits came out that day. Brian Eno and Robert Fripp did No Pussyfootin'. You had another Ike and Tina Turner album. Nutbush, City Limits, and Electric Light Orchestra dropped their third record on the third day. And that wraps up November. 50 years ago, I, I, I need another Crooked Eye Brew. I really do, man, to finish here, I think. All right, here we go. December, man. It's a busy December in 1973. On the first, I Got a Name, Jim Croce. An amazing album. His posthumous release. Another one that scared the shit out of the parents, Black Sabbath, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and we got Harry Chapin dropping short stories as well. And one of the first cassettes I ever got as a kid, Band on the Run from Paul McCartney and the Wings. Out on the fifth that month, and we talked to Denny Lane a little bit about that experience. I would love to talk more with him about that. Definitely magical album. This is all in the Christmas buying season that year. And on the sixth, you get Diana Ross releasing Last Time I Saw Him, Al Green's Living for You. On the seventh, The Temptations, 1990, and Gong, Angel's Egg, Yes, is Tales from Topographic Ocean. On the 21st, we had uh, REO Speedwagons riding the storm out. And the last day to buy records in December because of the holidays. We got some Tammy Wynette on the 22nd, another lonely song. BTO gave us Bachman Turner Overdrive 2. We got Donovan's Essence to Essence. Wishbone Ash dropped a live album. The Ozark Mountain Daredevils also gave us the Ozark Mountain Daredevils as well. Oh, their debut album was a whole lot of fun. If you want to get to heaven, you got to buy their album, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> also, James Brown, The Payback, and Joe Pass's Virtuoso to wrap up the releases for 1973. And you mentioned the uh, month of December ending early. You know, the whole business traditionally always shut down. Middle of December, the records were out. Radio had made their decisions. Everything was done. Everybody would just shut down for two weeks and go enjoy the holidays, whichever ones you're celebrating, which we always encourage. You know, I celebrate them all just in case, you know. <laughs> but what a year, 1973. I was right on the edge, like you said earlier, of driving. I was in high school. My media quest, unbeknownst to me, was about to begin within months. So all kinds of good things happening. And I mentioned it earlier because it was a big part of 1973. I remember going into Mr. Cardonic's class every day at noon and watching the continuation of the Watergate hearings. And it was kind of the backdrop for everything that was going on, Butterfield and John Dean and all of it. In an amazing year for music and life and culture as we continued to evolve in those areas you know we were pretty sheltered before the 50s and even in the 50s and into the 60s and we didn't know how much further we could go until we were well past the 70s and 80s so here we are 50 years later what do we got what do you think we got i can tell you this about 1973 ray when we were asked what we thought 2000 would be like when we were kids we thought we would have flying cars i'm just saying well on the jetsons they promised that to us didn't they they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, always good to look back, but it's always good to live in the future, which is today. And tomorrow. And it's always good to adventure when it comes to the music that we love here on the podcast. And we like to hear what you think, too. So reach out and tell us what you thought about our adventure today or anytime. And let us know where you are on this little blue marble listening the imbalanced history of rock and roll. Lots of ways to reach out, right, buddy? You can communicate with us directly through our website. You can email us at imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, 
And we're also on Instagram at The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And if there are any albums that we missed on this list, please let us know. And any memories from uh, your recollection of these albums, love to hear them. Please share. Remember, sharing is caring. Indeed. Hey, before we sign off, I want to remind people that coming up April once again is Punk Rock Month here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll podcast. But for now, I'm Ray Koob. I'm Mark Scoldman. And this has been an adventure in the rock and roll of 1973 on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.